Welcome to the I Now Pronounce You Divorced podcast, where we have three award-winning family law attorneys dive into intriguing topics like divorce, military divorce, custody and visitation, trust and estate planning, and all things family law. Join us as we provide a comprehensive viewpoint through the eyes of our experts and guests aiming to educate and soothe our listeners. Get ready to tune in because I Now Pronounce You Divorced starts right now. Hi, I'm Charles Hatley with Malone Hatley PC, and this is our podcast, I Now Pronounce You Divorced, where Rebecca, Dan, and myself get together and we talk about interesting issues that we see come up with our clients, questions that we see around the internet, or questions that our team brings to us. And this week, what we wanted to talk about was equitable distribution. You know, equitable distribution is how a lot of the courts divide property during the divorce process, and really what is fair in equitable distribution. And, you know, it's such a fair, is such a, a subjective reality. So, you know, Dan, kind of explain to us what equitable distribution is. Sure. Uh, it, you're right. It's what is fair and what is fair to one person may not be fair to the other side. But equitable distribution usually deals with distribution of assets and debt. And <laughs> it's really going to depend upon the, the judge that you're in front of, uh, the other side that's there, how willing that your ex-spouse is willing to come to the table in good faith. I can tell you where I practice at, we had this unique opportunity to take a change of judge. And depending upon the issues in the case, when you're dealing with equitable distribution, you want to make sure that you're in front of a judge that could be fair and, and at least uh, objective. And so usually I advise our clients or our team members who practice where I'm, I'm licensed at that we want to make sure that once we know who that judge assigned to your case, because they're randomly assigned, that if we don't think that judge is a good fit, that we're taking that change automatically. So you have 30 days from the date that the judge is assigned to take a change. And if you don't, then you could be stuck with some judge that may not be fair. And then you're, you're looking at, well, you're not really getting an equitable distribution. So we want to look at from a strategic standpoint, first, who is that judge? Two, do we want to take the change? And then let's decide what we think is fair. But we need to get all the assets and get a, a good idea of what are we looking at? What is the debt? And then talking to the client is what they think is fair. Because a lot of times what the client may think is fair is not what the court's going to think is fair. And, you know, getting a good picture of what the assets are is the most important first step. And it is very common for us to have clients come in and say, look, I don't need to do discovery. I know what the other side has. Rebecca, how frequently do you see when we actually do discovery that the other side is surprised by what the other side has? Yeah, absolutely. So if you've never fully combined finances, or even if you have combined finances, there still can be accounts that you don't really have a handle on. So if your spouse has like a 401k through their work or Maybe they've gotten stock options or you know something else, some other form of compensation that you're not receiving the statements. It's not really part of your monthly budget. Um, you sort of vaguely know, oh, they have something over there at work, right? Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe it's $100,000, maybe it's $50,000. You have some sort of rough estimate, but really it, it's almost impossible to have a full handle on what the other side has. So that's usually going to be the number one thing that we need to look at is what are the retirement accounts at play? What other sorts of investments does the other side have? 
Um, because if they just, you know, oh, I, I do some investing and some day trading and I have some crypto and I have like, you can have all these things that your spouse is not seeing these statements. They're not really keeping up with exactly what's going on day by day, month by month, because it doesn't really impact your family. Um, and so that's usually the area where we need to do some amount of discovery, even if we have a handle on the regular monthly expenses, everybody's income, we have W-2s, we have tax returns, we have all of those sorts of things already, we're still going to recommend doing some additional discovery to see exactly what else is going on. Um, and just to do our due diligence, because if, if we have the opportunity to do discovery, we don't. And then later you find out there was a whole lot more money that you were entitled to, we may be limited in trying to go back after it. Um, if we serve discovery and they hide it, then we're definitely going to be able to come back and get you your entitlement and go after them for sanctions and penalties and everything else because they they fraudulently concealed that at that point. Um, so we always, always, always want to do some amount of discovery. It may be a, a ton. It may be just like three or four questions, but we have to do something to make sure we have a full picture of exactly what's going on. And I mean, that, that's step one, right? I mean, step one of equitable distribution is you have to know what is up for distribution. Uh, right. You know, you brought up something interesting that I think that we're going to see more and more as we go into the future is these assets that are, you know, non-fungible assets like NFTs or, you know, cryptocurrency. And, you know, the, these assets that nobody really understands right now very well, or at least nobody in the divorce arena. So Dan, how are you handling these new types of assets that are coming down? It starts with talking to the client to see if they are aware of what those assets are and if they even know what they are really. So step one is, do they know what that is? And then two would be, do you know if your spouse has invested in anything similar to this? And then step three is doing that discovery that Rebecca was talking about. It really is doing due diligence because at the end of the day, we as practitioners need to be able to advise our clients what we think the best outcome is based upon the evidence and the and the you know the answers to the discovery that we have. And if we don't have the full picture, it's hard for us to really fully advise. It's I always talk to clients and, and I like to give medical analogies. And it's you know you're you're going to go to your doctor and you're going to know everything, right? Just like an, an the equitable distribution, you're going to know what the other side has before you make a decision. You want to know what all your options are. You're not going to say, okay, doctor, that sounds good. I'll take that, that medicine, even though we could try something that's the least intrusive here. Let's figure out what all the assets are, and then we can make an offer before we have to go full-blown trial or full-blown surgery, right? We want to see what what is there that's out there and what can we do to really come up with what is equitable? Because equitable is fair, and it gets confused a lot of times. Clients think states are 50-50. And even though equitable means fair, and a lot of times people think, oh, yeah, it's fair, it's 50-50. No, it, it really depends. And there's just so many extenuating circumstances that I'm sure we'll go into, but it, conduct could be part of it, whether it's marital misconduct, financial misconduct, or um, some type of abuse, hiding assets, as Rebecca was talking about. So there's a lot of factors that we need to take into consideration, but it does start with finding out what is that full disclosure of those assets? Was it the NFTs or if it's even, I had this one case to where the client wanted to cut back on costs and really didn't want to do discovery, but I was able to advise her that we need to do discovery so we can figure out what's out there. And we've discovered Robinhood accounts. We discovered gambling accounts, which you wouldn't think big picture. Oh yeah. Even if 
my spouse has it, it's not going to be insignificant, but the Robinhood account had a hundred plus thousand dollars in it. And then the gambling account had you know, 10 plus thousand dollars, which are all marital assets. And we want to make sure that we're making sure that we're dividing all the marital assets. And, you know, you said least invasive. Discovery is the least invasive method, even though it may not seem like it when you're getting, you know, what seems like hundreds of pages of requests for information and documents and uh, requests for admissions. It doesn't seem least invasive, but it truly is. And you you really hit on, on step two is identifying what equitable is. You know, there there are things out there which will shift the needle in one person's favor or the other person's favor. And so, Rebecca, can you kind of talk to us about what will shift, since we're not talking about 50-50, what shifts the equitable needle in one person's favor over the other person's favor? Sure. So in Virginia, there's a whole laundry list of factors that the court can consider. Some of the primary ones are what has each spouse contributed to the marriage? And contributions don't mean just financial. So we do unfortunately see a lot of clients that come in with the impression of, oh, I've paid for 100% of everything. I'm entitled to 100% of everything. And really that's not how the court sees it. The court sees that the non-monetary contributions are also important. So if one spouse was at home as either a homemaker or taking care of children, or you know, doing other things to be supportive of that high earning spouse's career, um, that's a consideration for the court. Adultery is another thing that comes into play and other, um, other fault grounds for the divorce, but adultery is kind of the primary one that we see. Um, use or abuse of financial assets um, is another area that that comes in. So if you have an adultery case where someone is going on dates or buying expensive gifts or, you know, doing something financially that they really shouldn't be doing with marital money, um, that will definitely come into the picture as well. Those are kind of the, the big ticket items. Um, another one is if a spouse has their own independent financial resources. So maybe a spouse came into the marriage with a huge inheritance or something like that. And so maybe they haven't really contributed a lot during the marriage, um, or they've they've contributed a lot, but they have their own independent resources to kind of fall back on. They don't need whatever is in the sort of marital bucket to be distributed at that point. Um, that's another consideration for the court as well. But every jurisdiction is going to be a little bit different in terms of what's important in, in sort of shifting that needle. Um, the biggest ones are going to be fault and those contributions to the marriage and to the finances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you brought up the inheritances. Of course, the inheritance, if, if properly kept, will not be split during the divorce. But the court, right. if you're getting a million dollars a year from a trust, the court's going to take a look at that and say, well, you probably don't need spouses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Dan, in the jurisdictions that you're licensed in, how does fault play in on the equitable distribution claim? In one of the states, Missouri, it's a fact that the court has to take into consideration, but most of the times judges don't really care unless mm -hmm. there's kids involved. And then that affair would impact the, the well-being of the, of the children or if the person that they're having the affair with has been convicted of some crimes against children or has an alcohol or drug problem. But it, it, the statute says the court has to consider it. And, and, and when I've, I've really been litigating, I force the court to make that decision because we need to preserve our rights if we want to appeal it. But also we want the court to make sure that they're following the letter of the law and the statute. And the statute says conduct of the parties is a factor. And it's 
kind of the parties during the marriage, which could be any type of uh, sexual misconduct or financial misconduct, but also kind of just during the litigation too, meaning are they filing frivolous motions? Are they being unreasonable? Are they being non-responsive? Uh, and, and another one of my states, Illinois, that I'm licensed in, the courts don't even consider conduct of the parties. Mm-hmm. Again, absent if there's a harm against children. But other than that, the courts get offended if you bring it up because the judge really does not care. And then if you look at North Carolina, conduct is a factor because you, you have other remedies available to you if you can prove that there is some type of sexual misconduct that would be considered an affair. Because then you have other rights that you want to make sure that you're you're preserving. But as far as on the misconduct side, it, it's something that you want to at least use to try to move your case forward and try to facilitate some type of settlement. Mm-hmm. And because at the end of the day, there are, there are factors the court will consider. And if we have to do that discovery, usually I'll find other assets through the discovery process that, oh, okay, we are looking at these bank accounts, but where is this money going into? Right. Or if we have this credit card statement that Rebecca was talking about as far as it's spending money on something that's not part of the marriage, whether it's with a paramour or just going out and, and buying things that may have nothing to do with the marriage. So you may have a, a financial dissipation argument. So doing that discovery, making sure you're preserving those rights are very important, at least initially, because usually once you do your due diligence, that will move that case forward and hopefully resolve it by by way of settlement. Yeah. And, you know, it, each jurisdiction is going to be different on how they treat fault. And in that end, each jurisdiction within the jurisdiction is going to be different in how fault impacts the higher earning spouse versus how the fault of the lower earning spouse impacts their share of, of what right. they're going to get. You know, that kind of brings us to the third point of equitable distribution is telling what the other side has wrongfully taken from the marital estate. You know, you, you both have brought up, you know, spending money on paramours. Dan, you brought up a gambling account. Um, you know, how do you go about, Dan, in, in finding money that has been wrongfully used from the marriage? Through, uh, well, first through discovery mm-hmm. and then talking about that with the clients as far as are you aware of this, this asset. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the clients are and they contributed to that. So then you don't have that uh, misconduct argument. But if they weren't even aware of it, then it's really moves towards, okay, now we need to subpoena potential records because we need to look at what what is this asset involved and, and where what other avenues is this asset going to? Because maybe it's a pass-through account. Maybe someone's using that gambling account to put money in, but it's really, they're using that money to, to hide from the spouse. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it looks as if there's a significant amount of money in the account, but if you subpoena the transaction history, which in this case, the spouse had a gambling problem, but if we didn't look into it, it had 10 plus thousand dollars. And so my client's like, oh, I'll just take half of that. That's that's a lot of money. That sounds good to me. But looking into it, it's, well, let's look at the transaction history and see exactly how much money went in and how much was lost. Because even though it may on its face seem like it has a substantial value, behind it was a substantial loss. And, and that's marital asset. That's money that could have been used for the, the marriage, but instead was used towards this gambling problem or, or issue. And so we're able to get half of those losses back by way of equitable distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've had that that same thing, you know, where you, you show the gambling account and anybody that says they win at gambling probably doesn't do a good accounting on how much they spent on gambling. So then, you know, Rebecca, can you kind of explain to us how somebody would recoup what was spent in a wrongful way? Yeah. So usually what the court is looking at is what did you have on the day you got married? Mm-hmm. What did you have on the day you got separated? And whatever happened in the middle is considered or presumed to be marital. Sometimes you can you can drag things out. But in general, that's what we're working with. 
So if you came into the marriage with $10 and then on the day you separated, you had $20, right? We've, we've got $10 to, to split both ways. So we want to kind of balance those things out. If you find that one spouse has dissipated or taken, um, you know, I saw one case where someone had pulled funds from like a 401k and then was using them to fund his extramarital affair and was going on these trips and staying in hotel rooms and, you know, all this stuff and sending money like through PayPal to his paramour, all of this stuff. And so through discovery and through subpoenas and through everything else, we were able to come up with a total dollar amount. This is everything he spent that was marital that went to the wrong place. So what we want to do is have an offset somewhere else. So these parties also had equity in a house that had been sold. And we were able to say, basically, he now has to repay what he wrongfully took. And so she's going to get a larger share of the house proceeds, um, you know, as, as a result of that. And there was also a little bit additional because of the wrongdoing and because of the dissipation and because of the affair. Um, and so you can have offsets for things like that whether it's through a retirement account, through a savings account, um, through you know splitting house proceeds. But the most important thing is making sure it's something you can really tie a dollar value on. Um, so sometimes you know, with house equity, it's gonna fluctuate depending on what the market is doing and interest rates and everything else. And so that may not necessarily be what you wanna to tie everything to. You might want something more like a savings account or investment account, something that has a little more um, firm dollar value on it where you're really gonna get reimbursed right now. Um, but that's one of the ways that we're going to, to try and offset. Now, if, if someone's purely just gone into debt and there's not enough assets to outweigh it, you might be in a difficult situation. And even if the court orders, you know, you have to repay the spouse a certain dollar amount, if there's not really an asset to connect that to, um, it, it may be a really long time before you get paid or you may not get paid very much, if anything at all, unfortunately. That, that's true. And debt, you know, debt is also subject to equitable distribution. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, I had a case one time where the, the other side was taking a, a lot, about $500 a week out of an ATM, same ATM, same day every week, $500 cash. And so we hired a private investigator to follow the individual and we found out that he was buying $500 a week worth of drugs. And, you know, he had, you know, he didn't really want to in a deposition talk about his $500 a week drug habits. So we subpoenaed the drug dealer and we were like, don't tell us what he was buying, but was he giving you $500 a week? And he was like, yes, he was. So in a very weird way through this tra cash transaction, we were able to then start tying these steps together. And my client had no idea that this other side had a $500 a week cocaine habit. Um, and so, you know, you never know what you're going to find until you get a little bit intrusive. Um, you know, the next step in equitable distribution, we've been talking about positive assets. How do negative assets work, Dan? It, it, again, it's really just talking to the client just to get a, a full picture of what it is actually out there and, and what is the client's understanding. That's usually where I start is what is your understanding of what your estate involves? And then just kind of breaking it down to we have tangible assets and we have, you know, the the cash assets, which could be bank accounts or electronic accounts. And then we have credit card debt that's out there. What does that look like? And then it's looking at other uh, records as far as if they're if they made a mortgage application what did the spouse put on there as their income what did they put on there as their their debt 
And then in, in the states where I'm licensed, we have to have the clients fill out a, a statement of income and expense and a statement of property. And then making sure that that's filled out properly, not just by my client, but making sure the other side fills that out. And looking at, okay, what is the list of those assets? What are the ones that we think are positive in the sense of, okay, is there some type of cash that we can either get back out of there? Or is it something that maybe we can divide and figure out, okay, if, if, there, if there's an offset that Rebecca was talking about. And then we need to look at those negative assets, which reduce your potential income or reduce your actual cash investments and, and seeing, okay, is there debt tied to anything? So, you know, a lot of people have a house that has equity, but what does the mortgage look like? And what is the, the value of the house? And we have the credit cards that we've talked about. Are there any other loans that are out there? Are there personal loans? Are there uh, any type of loans between friends or family that you're aware of? And then if you have other assets, is there loans against those? And we just want to just kind of start walking through what does that look like? And then once you think you have the, the full picture, then you want to tailor discovery to what you think you have, but then ask open-ended questions to make sure that you get other documents and then try to create a settlement offer to the other side. And if that doesn't work, then I usually recommend we depose the, the other side because we want to make sure that we have that full picture. And if they're not being honest in their discovery and they're not being honest in your deposition, then you have a question of their veracity. And, and usually in divorce cases, you, you, when you're going in front of a court, the judge is just going to look at the husband and the wife or two spouses. And the judge is going to make decisions based upon who he or she thinks is being the most truthful. And if you can show to the court that the other side wasn't forthcoming or didn't provide full disclosure, then that's really going to give you that advantage to advise the court. Well, I even though you're an equitable state, what is fair to my client may not be that 50-50. Maybe it's a 60-40 or 70-30. So we really just need to get a layout. What are all these assets look like? And then once you know what those positive and negative assets are, how does that affect your, your client share? And that's just having those open and, and honest discussions with the client. I, I really like what you said about the, the open-ended discovery questions, because there are so many times that our clients don't know the full picture. And we ask an open-ended question, and all of a sudden we get all this information, and everybody's like, where did this come from? This is amazing. So I want to thank both y'all for joining me for part one of equity distribution. Um, you know, it, it's great to talk about it, these phrases, which aren't used every day and kind of explain them in very simple terms. You know, we, we are Malone Hanley PC. We are your partner in divorce. And, and what we do is like we've been talking about this whole time is we sit down and work, try to explain everything to you in, in plain English. So if you or someone you know is going through a divorce and needs help, give us a call and, and see the difference that we can make. Hi, this is Dan Cuneo with I Now Pronounce You Divorce. Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you want more informational content, please be sure to subscribe and join us on all major social media platforms, including YouTube. Stay connected for more exciting updates and tips.